Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. My name is Will Bushman. I am one of the student directors here at Rio alongside um, my co-equal, Drew Brown. Um, and it's a pleasure to be up here with you this morning. And as you come in, we always pass out this play sheet because we want this to be ingrained in who we are as Rio. We want Sunday to be a culmination of everything that goes on in the week so we could celebrate together. And we want, if you've been here for 20 years or if you're new to us, to know who we are. And one of those things is that we explore and we use Alpha, this beautiful place that's very unchurch-like, where we explore the bigger ideas of life, the bigger topics. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What is this life all about? And no one's going to throw a Bible at you. And then we come to Discover, where you can learn more about Rio. If you want to know more, if you want to know who we are, what we're about, there's a monthly meeting in the Ingram Center um, on a Sunday, and the next one is in two weeks. Um, And lastly, we want to grow. We want people that grow together, that that grow in the Lord together. And Sam Cashinsmith is leading a class on Wednesday nights that's been absolutely wonderful. He's been walking through miracles, and he has a new topic coming up. Um, Lastly, we want to feature something each week, and this week it is um, Impact, or Student Ministries. Um, And we want all of our middle school and high school students to feel welcome. Um, At that age in life, it's hard to find a place that you can call home. It's hard to find a place um, where you know whatever you bring into the room that people will love you. And that's what we want to do. Our middle school meets on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and our high school meets on Sunday nights. But because um, summer is such a hard schedule to keep, uh, check out the calendar if you have a student that age. But I did want to take a quick poll. Um, It says, here's the T. Raise your hand if you know what that means. All right. No one over... Okay, we have some people. Yeah, over. Okay, yeah. Didi knows. She said she's cool. Here's the T is the youth vernacular of um, rumors, gossip. Um, spilling tea is the new way that they say, here's the talk, here's what's going on. So um, if you learn nothing else, you've learned something new today. Um, but we come into a new series, as you can tell by our beautiful graphic made by Nicole Gonzalez. And we leave the series about what God gave us, and we move into a series on the book of Proverbs that we're calling the voice of reason. And we're looking at Proverbs, and we're calling it the voice of reason because, as we learn quickly, this life is far too complex to just have a list of rules and to apply them in certain situations. Our situations are too complex to just know what we're supposed to do each and every time. A study I was reading in psychology today says we make 35,000 decisions a day. If the average person sleeps for seven hours, that means we make a little over 2,000 decisions per hour. That's huge. And all of those decisions matter, but some matter more and some matter less. Like, there's easy decisions we make. Like, what should we have for dinner? Should I use my blinker when I'm about to make this turn? Huge. Big deals that should be easy. Whereas other situations we come to in life are forks in the road. They're going to be life-shaping. Where do I go to college? Should I take this job offer? Should I marry this person? And we need something more than just a list of rules. We need something more to fill in the blank-by-blank of life that we come to, the crossroads. And what we need is wisdom. Wisdom is absolutely necessary in order to live this life well. And my mentor in college used to explain this to me every time we met. He always said, Will, I am one decision away from losing everything. My life, my marriage, my ministry. And college, Will was like, whoa, pretty serious. But as I got older, I started to realize that decisions we make affect what's going to happen in this life. 
And if this life takes wisdom, the book of Proverbs is a perfect place for you and I to find it. It's been studied throughout history, one of the most famous texts on wisdom, and you and I have the opportunity to study that over the next few weeks. So we begin in Proverbs 1.1, which says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And we have to stop here because a proverb is not unique to the Bible. All cultures, all generations have their own proverbs. And we in modern times have our own as well. And we think about a proverb, you think of a short, pithy statement that's universally understood and popular within our culture. Think about it. Two wrongs don't make a right. Fortune favors the bold. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. What we need to understand as we go through the book of Proverbs, though, the Proverbs we will see will be different. They're going to come to us in a different way, in a different manner. And, and the biggest difference will be we won't always like what they have to say. We won't want them to speak into our life. The Proverbs that we come to are not universally understood in this world today, and they're not popular within culture. And we see the reason for that is the key to the whole book of Proverbs. And we're going to come to it later on, but in verse 7 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we live in a world that doesn't fear the Lord. We live in a world where scripture is rarely popular. And the book starts by telling us that it communicates wisdom through Proverbs, but also tells us who wrote these Proverbs. It says, Solomon, king of Israel, son of David. And it's important for you and I, in order to trust what this book says, to understand who's giving us this information. It matters who we hear this wisdom from. And we learn that Solomon's qualified to speak into our lives, because in 1 Kings 3, God comes to 20-year-old Solomon. Solomon's 20 years old. He just took over the kingdom of Israel from his dad, David. And at 20 years old, under the weight of the world, as I can only imagine, God comes to him and says, Solomon, I'll give you one thing. Whatever you ask for, you have a blank check to take anything from me, and I will bless you with it. And think about 20-year-old Solomon, weight of the world on his shoulders, just took over a huge nation that he has to run. I mean, think about what would you ask for? I know what I would ask for, and it reveals a lot about who I am. Right? I know if I was king, and I just hit this crossroads, and God said, Will, you can have one thing. I would ask for an easy reign that lasted a long time. Right? I would ask for no coups, no wars, nobody interfering with what I'm doing, because I want security. I crave security. I would want to hold on to power for as long as God would give it to me. But Solomon doesn't do that, thankfully. Solomon, with his blank check, he asks for wisdom to lead his people, and God makes him the wisest man to ever walk this earth apart from Jesus. Not only does Solomon get that gift from the Lord, but Solomon, as king, had to go through something. So every king of Israel would have to write down the law of Moses. Right? They would have to write down the laws of Israel by hand. And think about what that would do for a person. The hours they spent, the days most likely that they spent writing that, the scripture would have been informed deep into their life. Their life would have been a life lived through the lens of scripture. And it's important to understand how scripture is, is given to us. It's all the word of God, but throughout the Bible we see it come in different forms and different ways. God inspired Moses face to face. God inspired the book of Isaiah through a vision. God inspired the gospel narratives through an eyewitness account. So how does Proverbs come to us? 
Proverbs was written by what flows out of this. It's Solomon's Holy Spirit-inspired observations of human behavior and human nature. Solomon was given the gift to be able to observe humanity, to be able to observe what's going on in life and understand it. And we see Solomon use his wisdom right away. Right after he's given the gift of wisdom, two prostitutes come to him. Right as king, he would have to judge. He would have to establish justice in his kingdom. So two women come to him. They both live together. They live alone. No one else lives in their house. They both had a baby three days apart. So there's two babies in that home. They wake up one morning, though, and one of the babies is dead. Both women claim that the child who is still alive is their baby. And they can't agree on it. So they come to Solomon. And they explain the situation to Solomon. And and Solomon does something that's insane. He says, bring me a sword. Okay? He says, I'm going to divide this baby in half, and each of you will take half of the baby. (laughs) Barbaric. Insane. It sounds like this guy is the furthest from wisdom. But Solomon is actually taking a tradition that was common in the Near East. If a judge could not decide what to do with this property, he would split it in half and each would get equal portions. I have to think, though, that this was the first time a judge has ruled on a baby being property. And after Solomon says that, and says he's going to divide the baby in half, the one, one woman speaks up, she says... I, she can have the baby. Right? I, I don't want the baby if it has to come to that. But the other woman says, I'm all in. Divide that baby. Let's each take half. And Solomon, with his wisdom, with his unique observation of human behavior, he understands that the one woman who would sacrifice this child is not the mother. But the woman who would do it all costs to keep that baby alive was. And the key thing we hear at the end of this story is this. It says, And all of Israel heard what Solomon did and stood in awe of him, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was with him. So Solomon's the perfect tutor for us to learn wisdom under. So what is wisdom? We start in verse 2 and we read this. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealings, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. And so we come here and right away we have to understand that the word no does not just mean head knowledge. It doesn't mean that we, we read about wisdom and if we had to take a quiz at the end, we would pass it. But it's a personal knowledge, one that forms us, one that shapes us, one that's internalized deep into our life and is reproducible each and every day. Wisdom is meant for practical living. In order to come to what wisdom is we get a clear picture through the other words in these verses. The first word we come to is insight. And insight in the Hebrew says this. It says the word means to be able to notice differences, to see distinctions that other people can't see. It's the difference between being an expert and a novice. And I see insight play out in um, my life all the time. Um, And I think my wife Morgan has a lot of insight in social situations. We'll be with friends, strangers, whomever. I'll go that night... We'll leave, and I'll say, that was great. Everyone's great. Everybody's doing well. That was awesome. And I'll get all in the car all excited, and then she will quickly explain to me everything I missed that evening. <laughs> she will walk me through the two things I saw. She saw 20. That's insight. That's being able to see distinctions, differences when other people don't. But insight's not just in the moment, but it's also imagining the future. 
If you need advice from someone, you want to find someone that has insight. Because you'll go to that person with insight and you'll explain the situation and you'll say, I think I only have two options, A or B. But someone with insight would hear your situation and say, you don't just have two options, you have ten. And here they are. It's the ability to see distinctions where everyone else just sees a blur. And insight is one part of wisdom. The second word we come to in order to better understand wisdom is instruction. Specifically in righteousness, justice, and equity. Wisdom adds a moral component to our lives. Wisdom is not just insight, but wisdom creates a deep character inside each and every one of us. Um, Lastly, we come to the word prudence. I actually had to Google what this word meant because I didn't know. Um, And when I Googled it, it didn't help because it said the quality of being prudent. Um, So then I clicked on the synonyms and I clicked on shrewdness and I figured it out. It's the concept of having good powers of judgment. It's practical. It's strategic. The idea that is you don't just know a lot of things about life, but you can apply them to your life. You can set a goal and you can actually implement steps to get to that goal. And so when we put insight, instruction, and prudence together, we get a full picture of what wisdom is. And a really smart guy named Gerhard von Rad sums it up this way. He says, wisdom is competence with regard to how life really works. In a more basic way, wisdom is skill in living. Wisdom allows us to live this life well practically. But an easy trap for us to fall into is to simplify wisdom. Right? We want to bake down wisdom to just being knowledge, or wisdom is just being morally good. And that's an easy trap to fall into, but wisdom's not either of those things by themselves. Because wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom assumes that you already have knowledge. Right? You can't be wise about a subject if you know nothing about it. But on the other hand, you can be an expert about a subject and not be wise. Because you can know a lot about it, but not actually know how to use it in daily life. So then is wisdom the same thing as being morally good? Is wisdom the same thing as just following the rules? And the Bible comes to us with the presupposition that there is a God who created the universe. And by creating that universe, he established how to live life well. And so the truth is, wisdom is not just being morally good, because wisdom assumes that you're already following the rules. Because if there is a God who created this life, then it wouldn't just be disobedient to not follow what he says, but it would be dumb. If he established how this life should go, then we should follow it. Because wisdom is not less than being good, but it's more. Because wisdom gives us the ability to decide between two morally good choices. Wisdom is meant for the gray areas of life. Wisdom allows us to make good decisions when two things come to us that are equally morally good. This happens a lot of the time to students going to college. They come down and they have to choose what college they have to go to, and two options represent something. But both options are morally good. If they chose either college, it wouldn't be sinful in the eyes of the Lord. But looking at the choices in colleges, one would be better than the other. Because wisdom allows us to understand and see the variables in life that if we choose option A, that it could lead to destruction. But if we choose option B, it could lead to our flourishing. So wisdom is skill in living. But why does wisdom matter? And Solomon comes to us in verse 32 and says this. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Solomon gets serious quickly with us. 
Right? Solomon just doesn't see wisdom as an add-on to life, but he sees it as absolutely necessary. It's not something that we can shrug our shoulders when we lack it. It's not just unfortunate when we don't have wisdom, but it's deadly for us to live this life without wisdom. And that verse also shows us the opposite of what wisdom is, and it's foolishness. And all throughout the book of Proverbs, we'll see two types of fools. One is called the simple, and the other is just called the fool. The simple is categorized by a naive person who is too uncommitted and unformed to be wise. And when you're uncommitted and unformed, you'll go wherever popular opinion tells you to go. The simple person turns away from wisdom based on the opinions of all of those around them, whether that's their friends, whether that's the culture that surrounds them. And this type of foolishness is normally characterized by youth. I'm not bashing the youth, I love them, but it's true. When you're a youth, it's easy not to be committed to anything. It's easy to not be formed by any one thing. Because the biggest fear when you're young is what's cool, what's popular. Will I show myself to my peers and will they accept me? And that fear causes a person to go with whatever opinion shows it to themselves first. And when you think about the simple, think back on your own life. It's those times in life when you said, why did I ever think I would get away with that? Why did I ever think good would come from it? It's because at those times we weren't worried about being wise. We were worried about what everyone else thought around us. The other type of foolishness is described as the fool. If the simple person cares too much about people's opinions, the fool cares nothing about it. The fool only cares about what he says, what he thinks, what he believes. In a fool's eyes, he is right in every single situation. The fool is self-righteous, opinionated, stubborn, hates to be corrected. There's someone you can't talk to. They're set in their ways. So if Proverbs comes to us and says there's two options in this life, you can be wise or you can be foolish. Why is wisdom so hard for us? Why is wisdom so hard to find and chase after in this life? Because the truth is found in our biblical narrative. Right? It's found at the beginning. Right? The Bible comes to us again and says that there's a God who created this world and he created it good and he created it to be meant to be lived this way. And the first humans, Adam and Eve, lived wisely for the first part. They briefly followed the reality that God entered them into But soon foolishness entered into our world. Adam and Eve became simple by believing the opinion of Satan. Adam and Eve became the fool when they believed pridefully in their own opinions. Thus, foolishness entered into our world. You and I, by nature, are foolish people. And that's hard to hear. We don't like when the Bible comes and puts that on us, but we all understand this as we live our lives. Right? No one teaches a child to be foolish. No one teaches them to be selfish, to be prideful, to be arrogant. But soon and quickly in a child's life, you see foolishness enter into the picture. And if it isn't taught, then how does it exist? Well, the truth is it's in us in our natural state. And this is the problem with wisdom. We don't stumble into wisdom. We have to learn wisdom. We have to learn how to live this life Well, so the question for us is how do we find wisdom? 
How do we get it? How do we chase after it? And over the next few weeks, we'll see this specifically in different contexts. But this morning, we'll see how to start the search for wisdom. And it comes to us in Proverbs 1.7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And here's how we find wisdom. Solomon comes to us and tells us. He says, We find wisdom through the fear of the Lord. And when we think about the word fear, we see it as negative, because that's normally how we use it. The Bible even uses the word fear negatively, right? It says, perfect love cast out fear. Fear is bad. So why is fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? Well, fear brings with it two different types, right? We have a positive fear, and we have a negative fear. And it's easy to see these two when we think about when we're in the presence of someone that we fear. Right? If you're in the presence of someone that you fear, and it's a negative fear, you're scared. You're scared because that person might hurt you physically, emotionally. You're scared of what that person will do to you when you're in their presence. You distrust them, and that's where a negative fear stems from. But think about the positive type of fear. When you're in the presence of someone you fear in a positive manner, you don't fear them because you're going to hurt them. You fear them because you revere them. Because you stand in awe of them, you respect them, you love them. And this type of fear causes you to be afraid, but in a dramatically different reason. You're not afraid of them because you distrust them, that they're going to do something that harms you. You're afraid that you're going to do something that dishonors them, that offends them, that hurts them. A positive fear brings, makes you afraid because you love them so much that you don't want to hurt them. A negative fear is all about what's going to happen to you and is built off distrust. A positive fear is all about what's going to happen to that other person, and it's based off love and respect. And this is what fear of the Lord is. It's a love and it's a respect for God. It's us realizing that we're human. God is God. He, He is different than us. That he's holy. That not just his character is different, but his, but his nature is different. It realigns who we are. And we don't fear him because we don't trust him. We fear him because we love him. And think about how much different that fear of the Lord is than just mere, merely believing in God. Most of the people in this world who believe in God are obeying him out of a negative fear. Right? They're pushed on by shame. They're pushed on by guilt. They think that God's some ogre in the sky that if they step out of line, that'll crush them. But think about if that was switched. Think about if we had a joyful, positive fear in the Lord. What, what would happen to us? Well, the truth is we would become wise. We'd become wise if we had a positive fear in the Lord because we wouldn't be simple anymore. Right? The simple person cares what everyone else thinks about them. Right? But when we become wise, when we fear the Lord, we only care about what God thinks about us. That no longer are we swayed by the opinions of others, that we're so committed and so in love with God that we only care about what he says. We also wouldn't be the fool. Because right? the fool only cares about what they think. But we wouldn't be wholly concerned about what we think anymore. We would understand ourselves in light of him. 
We wouldn't have to fill all of our insecurities with the pride of being right each and every time. We would become humble. Because when you fear the Lord, you understand this. That it's not about what you know in this life, but it's about who you know. And that who is God. And so the real crux of this is that we have to truly believe that God is not out to get us. That we can't come here on Sundays because of shame. That we can't be believing that God's character and his nature is wired to destroy us, but that truly God is wired to be kind to us, to love us, to care about us. In order to truly understand this, we have to see Proverbs in the context of the New Testament. In order to truly understand what a positive fear looks like in this world, we have to be introduced into what positive foolishness looks like. And the Apostle Paul comes to us in 1 Corinthians 1 and says this, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul comes to us, and and we've talked a lot about negative foolishness, but here Paul shifts it. He shows us a positive way of foolishness. And when we hear that now, in 2019, we think the cross wasn't foolish, but we have thousands of years of history that help us interpret it. But think about what his disciples would have thought in the first century. Right, Jesus came saying, I am the Messiah. I have come to bring the kingdom of God to this earth. And you can imagine what the disciples thought. That he was going to come like a general with an army. He would come as a conquering king. He would come to wipe out evil, topple the Roman Empire, and he would rule forever. That's what they thought he was going to do. So you can imagine their confusion when Jesus, weeks before he dies, comes to them and says, I have to die. They don't understand what he's talking about. They're afraid to ask him. And then you can imagine what they thought the night he was arrested. And Peter tries to fight back, but Jesus says, stop. Then you can imagine what the disciples felt as Jesus was being beaten. Right? They thought this is not the way it was supposed to go. This is not what a conquering king looks like. And finally, he's hung on a cross. And you can imagine what his disciples felt as they took his lifeless body down from the cross. They thought it was complete and utter foolishness because they didn't understand that the mission that Jesus was trying to accomplish. But we understand that the cross is the wisest event in all of history. Because we have to remember what Von Rod said about what wisdom is. He said, wisdom is competence with regard to how life really works. And and what does the cross show us? The cross shows us the truest reality of justice that the world had ever seen. Right? God didn't look upon foolishness and say, oh, it doesn't matter. But God understood that sin was an affront to his nature and it had to be punished. But then we saw the truest reality of love enter into the picture. Jesus, being the embodiment of wisdom on that cross, took justice and love all in the same moment. It was the greatest vision of love you could cast because it was a sacrificial love. Jesus didn't deserve to be up there, but he chose to because he loved you and I. Right, And through Jesus' work on the cross, we can understand the true reality 
We can see God for who he is, and we can see ourselves for who we are, and we can see that the gap is filled with the cross. So no longer are we afraid of God because we don't trust him. Because just like we sang earlier, we remember time and time again, every single time we look at the cross, what he did for us. So this is why we start here in our search for wisdom. Because in order to be wise, we need to believe that Jesus' foolishness on the cross allows us to fear him. Not because we don't trust him, but because we love him. So we think about this today as we leave here. What does wisdom look like in your life? What is the source for how you're living? Do you fear the Lord? What, what kind of fear is it? Are you worried that God is going to crush you? Or do you see his kindness? Do you see his love? And lastly, can, can you look at the cross and see the beautiful foolishness of it and what it means for you? I'm going to pray for us and then Matt's going to come and lead us in a time of reflection. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're a God who can be trusted. We thank you that you're a God who's faithful to us, Lord. We just ask right now, God, that, that you convict us of where we've been foolish, Lord, that you show us that by living in our own world that it is foolishness to you. Lord, but also let us see the cross and how far you came to rescue us, Lord. Let us know you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.